Hey guys, so today I wanted to talk about the relationship between stress and adrenaline. I think about how common it is for me, and you know, this came up last night in men's group, how common it is for me to use stress as a motivator, and why do we do that? So we're going to start with a piece here by Psychology Today, which talks about this. It's titled, The Connection Between Anxiety, Anger, and Adrenaline. Anger is turbocharged anxiety and your body's attempt to regain control. Thoughts create the same chemical reaction as a physical threat, and we can't escape our thoughts. Emotional pain is processed in a similar manner as physical pain. Since humans can't escape from their thoughts, there is a constant elevation of stress hormones. One of the primary reactions to anxiety is control. Once the threat is resolved, the body chemistry normalizes. What happens when the real or perceived threat persists and we feel trapped? This, of course, causes the secretion of even more hormones and the feeling of being angry. Anger and anxiety are the same entity, which that just hit me. I, that's crazy. I mean, it makes perfect sense, but the idea that anger and anxiety are, you know, are essentially made out of completely the same things. It is your body's attempt to increase your efforts to regain control. Anger is anxiety with a chemical kick. Many reactions occur in your body. This includes a shift of blood supply to skeletal muscles, which enables you to flee danger. Decreased blood flow to your brain, especially to the frontal cortex, where most thinking occurs. And that is so interesting to me, because I think about, this also came up last night in men's group, that a lot of times, if I'm really anxious, everything I have to do at work feels like it's so much harder than it normally is. And, and I think this speaks to that, that when your stress goes up, it decreases the blood flow to your brain, especially to the frontal cortex where most of your thinking occurs. So it is quite literally harder to think if you're dealing with a lot of anxiety, which um, I knew that I had experienced that, but I didn't, I didn't know there was a you know, I didn't know it was quite that straightforward. Um, other symptoms include increased blood pressure, faster heart rate, sweating, and rapid breathing. Adrenaline also affects every cell in your body with each organ system manifesting its own unique response. There are four categories. Smooth muscles control digestion, bladder emptying, and the diameter of blood vessels, and lung airways. Skeletal muscle, muscles used for motor function, including heart muscle, your central nervous system is intended to protect you, and one starting point is to amplify danger signals from the environment, such as pain. And that's really interesting, that the upside of anxiety is an increase of alertness, this feeling that, you know, if we're worried that, we, uh, that we're less uh, open to, to being hurt. And lastly, conversion reaction. A given organ system will completely shut down. There are over 30 symptoms that can occur with the sustained adrenaline bath from the different organ system reactions. They include migraines, a pounding sensation of your heart, back pain, neck pain, chest pain, rapid heart rate, skin rashes, insomnia, extreme anxiety, depression, obsessive thought patterns, tinnitus or ringing in the ears, eating disorders, obsessive compulsive disorder, and PTSD. When whole systems shut down, the results can be paralysis, blindness, or weakness. So I thought 
I thought that was worth mentioning. And I want to talk about, you know, where does that leave us? And how do we replace that type of motivation? If we instinctively are using stress as a motivator, then that implies that we probably don't have any better motivator. That it is sort of a substitute for a healthier way to motivate ourselves. If you think about it, everyone responds to incentives. This is the old analogy of the carrot or the stick, that either, um, you know, you're either motivated because you're running away from something bad or because you're motivated to run towards something good. And I think about how much of the anxiety and the stress that I experience on a normal day is because I wouldn't take the time and feel the awkwardness of just setting a short-term goal for myself. How different the weeks are when I have something at the end of the week that I'm excited about, when I have something short-term to look forward to. We all have those long-term things that we hope will fall in place, but we need short-term rewards. And I know as an adult and as a married person, and I'm sure this escalates tenfold when you have kids, it doesn't really feel like there's time for anything like that. It doesn't feel like there's just any room for something that is just a small personal reward. And like I said, I'm sure when you have kids, that feeling escalates. You really feel like there's no time for any kind of personal reward. There's really no money for it or whatever, you know. And uh, and I also don't want to uh, imply that, you know, the best life is just by, um, you know, treating yourself and all that that it doesn't it doesn't work you know the times when i do have a ton of time to myself and and money to to buy things it doesn't i don't feel the way i think i would you know that much of our meaning is in the giving that marriage takes in the giving that having children takes but short term we do also need to have rewards for ourselves, things that are small enough that we can do them soon. And, um, and the mental state that I'm in when I have a short-term goal, when I have some small thing that I'm excited about, is very different than, than when I don't. And how much of the anxiety, how much of the stress, how many days do I get up and use stress to motivate myself? Because I just wouldn't take an hour or so and figure out something at the end of this week that I'm looking forward to. So one thing is set a short-term reward. Another thing is to listen to courageous people. You know, if I feel like I'm really uh, dealing with a lot of anxiety and my brain is is fractured and it's going like 10 different directions at the same time, and, you know, and I have work to do, one way that I, um, you know, try to get out of that pit is I'll listen to someone that is really courageous. I'll listen to someone while at work or wherever that is very bold, that it lives without fear or with a very little amount of fear. Someone that thinks very clearly and lives very courageously. That when I hear that, just by hearing it, I am reminded of where I need to be, of the, you know, of the direction that we're headed. Because, you know, whatever your life is. It takes courage if you're, a, you know, a, a parent or a husband or a wife or, or if you're single. It doesn't matter. All of life to do it well takes courage. It's what the present takes, and it's what the future takes. So courage, just listening to people 
that think very clearly, that aren't disappearing uh, into a maze of weird contradictions and weird fears in their head. Just mentally get out of that space and go, at least mentally, go get around people that are very courageous. The next thing is forgiveness. You know, I think about stress and resentment. What is the what is the relationship between those two things? Whether it be resentment towards ourselves, towards some mistake that we made, resentment towards God, or resentment towards someone else in our life. That if we are going to hold on to resentment, then we are going to live with a high level of stress and, by extension, anxiety. And again, maybe we use the stress, use the anxiety as an adrenaline. Maybe we use it to sort of kickstart us into making ourselves do things. But what if we don't have to do it that way? What if we could go towards something we're excited about rather than away from something that is painful? So I'm just going to read. I don't even know if this fits here, um, but it's just something that I need to hear a lot, so I thought I would read it. Um, I'm just going to read here something you've probably all heard before, and that is 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And you know, this applies to loving the people in your life, but it also applies to turning over control and saying, God, if this is how you feel towards me, then thank you so much. I don't know why you would feel that way, but if you do, I will live and operate the best I know how on your ticket. I heard something the other day that God is self-emptying by nature. This is something that's hard to imagine, that God doesn't overcome his self-centered desires to love us, but that he doesn't have them, that he is not by nature self-centered in the way that we are, in the way that I am. I almost can't imagine that. I can't imagine a situation in which I would be others-centered by nature. Sometimes when I push really hard, I can get a little bit of that, and then I go back to me. But I can't even imagine what it would be like to be that way naturally. You know, this idea that God doesn't overcome his vices to be good. That goodness is not what he does or how he acts but it's what he's made out of. I almost can't even picture it. C.S. Lewis said, The hardness of God is kinder than the softness of men. His compulsion is our liberation. And so you may think, but what about all the suffering in the world? I don't know that I really trust God. I don't know that I trust God to be good. I don't know, given the pain that I've been through, why I should believe that. And that is certainly a very understandable place to be. But look at its alternative. Let's say that there is no God, that your suffering has no reason. Does anything get better, or does only everything 
get worse. We may not know for this time why suffering is allowed to keep going, why suffering is allowed to persist. But we do know that if we remove the possibility that God has a plan for us, that nothing gets better and everything gets worse. There's a quote by a very famous nun, Teresa of Avila, and she said this, In light of heaven, the worst suffering on earth will be seen as no more serious than one night in an inconvenient hotel. Another thing to ponder is when Jesus' friend Lazarus passed away, that it says in the scripture that he wept, that he is not detached from our pain, he is not detached from our suffering, that he weeps when we do, that he feels our pain on purpose, that he chooses to. That if God is self-emptying by nature, then by nature he chooses to feel our suffering on purpose, by choice. And may we allow God to forgive us again. May we see ourselves as free from the things that we've done wrong, because he decided that we were. And may we just live in gratitude. I heard something the other day, that gratitude is the highest form of thought. May we live and die on his kindness. Because when we do, everything becomes more full, more rich. May we let go of the control that causes the stress. May we let go of the stress that causes the adrenaline. May we get adrenaline by running towards something that is worth having, towards a future worth striving for, towards something to be excited about, and not simply run away from our bills, away from the people that are hurting us. May we confront the things that we can fix, and may we surrender the things that we can't. And I believe that the more we confront the things that we could change, the less concerned, the less worried and captured we are, I'll speak for me, by the things that are outside my reach. That when I complain that, oh, there are things I can't change that I just wish I could change, really what I'm usually saying is that there's something I could change that is really not comfortable. There's something I could do, but I don't want to. And so it is much easier to use the things I can't control, to point to them as a scapegoat, to get out from the responsibility of the part I could fix. But when I just buckle down and I bite the bullet on something that I could do, then those things which are outside of my reach are just not as big a deal. They don't cause me the panic. They don't cause me the anxiety. They don't cause me the stress or the resentment. I once heard someone say, Tend to the garden you can touch. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can.